0: Welcome to the Managing Madrid Podcast. This is your host, Kian Subani. I'm joined by Om Arvin tonight. We're recording this on Sunday night after Real Madrid come away with a huge three points away to Valladolid in a victory that resembled a throwback from 1617, where the fighting spirit and tough games ultimately carried the team to a historic double. We're going to talk about that, but it's going to be difficult, and we're going to preface this episode by saying we're not going to be on our A-game tonight. Uh... Just moments before Real Amateur took the field at Estadio Jose Zoria, news broke out that Kobe Bryant passed away due to a helicopter crash. Later, it turned out the news just got worse and worse with other children and their parents on the helicopter, one of those children being Kobe Bryant's daughter, 13-year-old Gianna Bryant. They were on their way to Gianna's basketball game, as Woj reported. So saying that I'm completely devastated is an understatement. I was driving with Luca in the car when my wife called me and told me the news. And this like inexplicable feeling came over me. And the best way I can really describe it is just pure sadness, like a deep sadness, which completely distracted me from the game at play that we had to cover at Managing Madrid. I haven't to this second stopped thinking about it. Um this really hit me hard. Um in grade six I remember our teacher like gave us this project to do in class and she said, You can do a presentation in front of the class on the top of your topic of your choice, you can choose anything you want, and I chose Kobe because, like, I was so in love with the kid growing up. Like, he had such a profound impact on me. After Michael, and in between him and LeBron, it was basically Kobe. Like, he's like the most iconic figure there. Um, I don't know. It's just just a, a, an almost like an immortal figure like that to just be gone like that. It really kind of shows you and reminds you how fragile life is. Then you start seeing like the reactions, of the players and coaches who have cameras and mics surrounding them tonight. The tears, the tweet that Shaq put out, which completely broke me. Uh, I'm not even I'm not even close to Kobe. I mean, he obviously has no idea who I am, and I can't imagine. So what the connection that people who actually have connections with him, what they're going through, let alone his family. Uh, Kobe was an athlete. He was a football fan. Real Madrid, among many other clubs, issued a statement on his passing. Um, it's it's impossible to separate him from anything that's happening in sports right now?
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I think anyone who knows anything about basketball, you know, any Real Madrid fan, you know, this has been occupying their thoughts. So I think they can understand how we're feeling right now. Um, you know, on behalf of the management team, our, you know, our, our prayers, our thoughts are with the Bryant family and with all the other people who died on a helicopter crash. There were nine people in total. Um, and, it's clear what Kobe means to so many people. Um, but I think in times like these, you know we have to make sure to look at you know a person in their totality. Um, I, I don't think you can deny you know that Kobe was a pure inspiration for so many people, but you know he also did some things that hurt some people. and I think in these moments, you just have to, I think, allow people to grieve, allow people to think about this and talk about this in different ways, and I think keep that discussion open and talk their way through this, um, you know, and I just think that's really important. Like, I don't think, you know, there, there will be, I think, you know, trying to, like, you know, shut down what some people are going to say, you know, following his death and, you know, discussing his legacy. And I think, you know, it's, it's just one of those moments where it's extremely complicated, and I think you need to have some of these conversations. I would just encourage everyone to read, um, you know, a retrospective on Kobe from SB Nation's Lakers site, um, silverscreenandroll.com It's titled Mamba Out, and I think it just does a good job of encapsulating you know the complicated guy that Kobe was, and you know what he meant to different people. Um, and yeah, I just think it's important to you know to acknowledge all of that. And yeah, like like Keon said, I, you know we're not going to be on our A game. I'm not going to be on my A game either. Um, I did try to go back and rewatch parts of this game. Make sure that I did have something to say, but yeah. Uh, if you can um, do some of your own analysis and judgment on this, because what I say might not be, you know, down to the exact detail that you expect. You have you have seen from me, and you expect from me.
0: I mean, there was a as a Raptors fan, grew up basically feeling Kobe's wrath from from uh, from basically our entire careers, where he just torched us over and over again, and we also were the victims of his eighty-one point game even tonight, like I felt like there was some kind of like almost like a spirit lingering on the courts because when in the Raptors game. They both took Raptors took the 24 second shot clock mm-hmm. violation started the game and the Spurs followed suit. And then the next possession, Lowry shoots um, and the ball gets stuck on top of the backboard. And it's like the ball wouldn't come down and it was just sitting un underneath the number 24 of the shot clock. And it was like, this is like definitely a sign. It was kind of like eerie. Um, an unforgettable figure I don't. honestly don't remember feeling this way um in terms of like the global impact of a single person's a single athlete's or a single celebrity's death I feel like Michael Jackson was the other one that was like well I couldn't believe like what was happening when he died but this one was much more profound even I think because I felt more connected to Kobe and it's it's weird like you know sometimes I'm like you question why is it you know with with you know so many people around the world dying every day and then you have this one figure who gets all the attention and i think it's part of the reason is because like he's in he's in everybody's lives every day and it's not like we're in his lives he doesn't know who we are but you know when we grow up and we're watching a certain thing over and over again every day we see him on tv every day we see the quotes um then he has his whole life sorted out essentially like you know with his business and all his investments he has his you know raising all of his daughters and putting them in basketball it's just it's so weird that like all of a sudden that person that is in your life every day is gone and that's that connection is it's just it's hard to explain but i think you know i i want to also give you the floor because i don't know if you have anything else to say but again you know we'll talk about the game but this has had a profound effect on us so we just wanted to we wanted to start the show with it
1: no i think i think i said what what i wanted to say Um, and yeah, I mean, I appreciate you sharing, you know, the personal impact that it had. I think, I I think a lot of people feel that as well. And I think they, they'd appreciate it that you were open about it and shared it.
0: Um, we do have a few patron questions also about the game. One of them, we just wanted to take it now, which comes from Brendan Stevens, because it's regarding this topic. He says, rest in peace, Kobe, what devastating news. Not only was Kobe a legendary basketball player, he was a huge football fan. This match wasn't great, and I had a really difficult time focusing. But I'm grateful that Real Madrid played and won today. Just for a moment, it helped distract me from the loss of this icon. Life is so fragile. Wishing you, your wife, Luca, and your newborn son, the best. Keon, hug them extra tight tonight. Same to whoever else is breaking down the game. I think that's just a good message, just to everybody listening to the podcast. Is like, you know, definitely take that. F- I, I think. I think one thing, Omen, that I don't, I don't ever regret is that every day i try to hold my children my wife and the loved ones i like, guess close as possible and just kind of breathe it in because you know this is a, a, a reminder of of what the reality of life is like and that everything it's completely unpredictable and a lot of things are out of our hands so um everyone listening just do the same also um oh this game what well, we could piece together from it um and you're right, it did require some kind of going back to the game and just kind of revisiting some moments of it. It just was like shocking that I, I, it really dawned on me after revisiting. It's like even though we weren't like analyzing completely, it's actually one of those games that you could have gotten away with not doing that because it was so, so um, I guess, locked and the team's offenses were so rigid and and almost non-functional at times because this, this game was about defending from both teams Real Madrid defended really well Valladolid relatively well also and um, it took a, a very very difficult <laughs> header from Nacho in the 77th minute to come away with the victory and little offense in between and Casemiro for the second straight game the most off, uh, most dangerous offensive player so what is it that really stood out to you about this game?
1: So yeah, this was not a great game. I think what stood out to me was it has to be the offense, right? Like this was, this was this was a very poor offensive performance. Um, I, I don't think there's any point in sugarcoating it. I don't know if many people will disagree. Um, and I, I think part of it had to do with with some of the you know personnel selection and some of the restrictions with personnel selection. You know, this wasn't exactly a diamond in the way we've seen it before, but given you know Isco's kind of like nebulous role on the pitch. It was kind of diamond slash four three three type shape, without the greatest amount of width because Rodrigo was also sometimes playing as a striker, sometimes playing as a winger. Yeah. And so when you're thinking about like that type of narrow shape, it's you know what are what are your fullbacks going to do because they have a huge amount of responsibility. Yeah. And we had Furlan Mendy and we had Nacho. And I think I think Mendy was decent. Um, I I, I think he certainly acquitted himself better throughout the entirety of the game than Nacho. But I think, you know, whenever I personally, if I was to deploy a scheme like this, I'd always want Marcelo really because we're talking about like the wing back being the attacking force. And then Nacho, I think if it wasn't for the goal, I think would have taken a lot of scorn, um, you know, following this game, the the post-match reactions and whatever, because a lot of people are not happy with his performance. And to be fair, you know, he was he was pretty limited offensively on the day, and I thought that hurt us um, quite a bit. You know, that wasn't all of it. You know, I have some tactical things to say as well, but I think when you're playing with something that's somewhat like a diamond, where you're trying to pack the midfield, not having, you know, the greatest offensive forces in the fullback position, I think, definitely hurts you. Um, and I think, yeah, obviously, azola is gone now. Carvajal could not play, so there wasn't that much of a choice of playing Nacho, but... You know, I think Marcelo was missed, but, you know, Zidane chose to go with who he did on the day, and Nacho did end up scoring. So, I guess it was somewhat justified to pick him.
0: There's no question that Marcelo was missed and any sort of offense was really missed. I mean, um, and the interesting thing about Mendy is that he's kind of, like, unorthodox good offensively. Like, in, like in and mm-hmm. not in a really visible, clear way. Um, he's not... He's not the greatest attacking fullback and he's certainly not Marcelo, but he and he's certainly not a good crosser of the ball at this stage of his career. But he's good at like um like there were a few sequences in this game. By the way, he had 5 completed dribbles. That's another thing that he just kind of at at he has moments where um he actually is is able to kind of just know where to put the ball to get past the defender and it's not really pretty but it's it gets done. I mean, I remember in the first half there were a couple instances where Vitaly had packed the flank and there was like three guys on him and he just bulldozes everyone. Like he's such a tank. And um he would eventually lost lose it because he had no outlets, but it's like trying to take him down is like trying to like take down the rock, like who's like carrying a football and sprinting into the end zone. Like it's it's hard to stop him. Um I also thought like it's worth noting just um, defensively, he was really good tonight again. So I I actually had Mendy as one of my standouts, not because it was visibly obvious that he was a standout, but just the fact that he, he gives us such a solid presence on that flank. Um, he also, he got, I think he got caught a couple times and he just sprinted back and recovered well in transition. <clears throat> and he also, he also had a really nice moment in the, in the, uh, in the second half where he brings down a crossfield field switch, um, brings it down really well, controls it, and then puts a cutback uh, across. And so I thought he was good. Um, and him and Ramos together on that flank are actually a very, like it's a very strong tandem. Like it, it gives you more security defending that half space, whereas Ramos and Marcelo together, you maybe don't have that security. Um, and you know Sergio Guardiola had this one moment where he had like 1v2 versus Ramos and Mendy and he had just no chance getting past those two those two giants on on defense. So I thought I thought he was good. Um here's the thing to note about this whole this whole run from Ramos and we've revisited this a few times over the past month or two on the podcast. It's that the offense hasn't been good but the defense has been great. This was the third time this season, um, as Opta Jose pointed out on, on Twitter, the third time this season that Real Madrid haven't faced a single shot on target. So this one, um, the one against Se- Sevilla at the Sanchez Pijuan and against Osasuna at home, is pretty remarkable. And apparently it's better than any other team in the top five European leagues. And de facto, their defense has been one of the most efficient ones in the, in the entire continent.
1: Yeah, I think defense this 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 league campaign has very much I think since things stabilized it's very much been a case of defense saving offense. Um I guess so just quickly I guess to finish off one of my mendy points like so I mean I one of my, one of the main tactical problems I think was that we were you know, we were not despite like playing this kind of narrow packed midfield formation, we actually weren't really able to take advantage of midfield, and so we just kind of accepted that we went out wide. And we went when we went out wide, you know, it was either just go straight down the touchline and put in a cross and we had twenty nine crosses attempted, and you know, needless to say it yeah. wasn't that effective. Um, so there was that or there was trying to kind of like play these difficult diagonals From the wing into the center to some of the attacking midfielders. And out of all the players that tried it, Mendy kind of did it the best. You know, it it didn't, there was not one moment where it completely cut apart um, the the opposition defense and it created a big chance. But he tried it like five times, he pulled it off like two or three times, you know, quite effectively. And, you know, speaking of like Mendy's unorthodox offensive ability, his ability to pass from those types of situations is I think actually one of his strongest abilities. I highlighted it in, in, in the scouting report I did on him like in preseason. So, I mean, that was just a little thing. It didn't turn out to have a huge impact, but considering like, how one-dimensional our offensive approach is, I think that was kind of an interesting place where maybe something more could have happened, and Mendy was part of it.
0: Um, here's how bad the offense was. Um, three shots on target. XG of 0.54. That's pretty much like just tracking XG over the last couple years. Every game, like 0.54 is pretty damn low. um Once you get into like anywhere from 0.6, 0.7, and down, it's uh, your offense just is really isn't clicking as much. casemiro had the most shots of anyone and in, uh, in the game, and that was two at halftime. He ended up having five shots in total, and he's this—he's an entire talking point on his own, but. Um, I think, but here's how good their defense was. Real Valladolid's XG was 0.19. So there were a few moments Valladolid you know, caused some problems. They got into some good areas, but ultimately they didn't get any good clear-cut chances. Um, Casemiro was on a complete tear right now because this was following the Sevilla game where his brace obviously gave Real Madrid a huge victory. Um, total of five shots in this game, definitely the most of anyone on the field, and it's not really close. Um, he scored that offside goal, which where he was offside by hair, and then he had these sequences where he's like carrying the ball in transition, like from the halfway line, and shooting from distance. Like le- he was legitimately our only source of offense for for long stretches. Um, I think Isco, um, Isco had some good moments offensively, um, not entirely efficient as was the, this the case for the entire team, but. He had a couple of great passes, uh, most notably one gorgeous dink diagonal through ball to Benzema on the second half where he found him wide open and Benzema couldn't finish. And some good combination play in kind of like the half spaces and just, just behind Valladolid's midfield. I I don't know, I think you mentioned Rodrigo briefly just about like his role and like kind of playing on both both flanks and, and sometimes up front. What did you think of his performance? Because I actually was pretty impressed with him in this game
1: rodrigo's performance yeah um i mean i thought i thought he was all right i thought i thought he was relegated to mainly just kind of being a crosser um i i thought he did i think kind of as best as he could in terms of the circumstances like you know he was trying to be dynamic he was trying to provide different options but oftentimes you know he was one versus two on the flank yeah and you know you had to find a way to put a cross, and I think probably the best open play chance of the game was actually him cutting back onto his left foot from the right wing and putting in a cross, which bends my head just wide, and I, th- I think in that case, you know, he, he was fine, but... It was also a situation where like, I would have liked to see him actually get into the box more to support Benzema more because there were plenty of sequences. And this is part of the reason the crossing strategy didn't really work is that Benzema was the only player in the box on so many occasions. Um, and in fact, I think Isco was the person who supported him you know, the most, which you know, I guess, okay, someone is helping him out. But if there's one person on that offense that I don't want going into the box to get on the end of a cross as much as you know, Benzema's Isco, like, I'd prefer Rodrigo did that more, and he's he, he shown a good track record of being able to get into those positions and finish, but, you know, really it was kind of like, he was in a sort of confusing role, and I thought he he sort of made the best of it that he could, but in the end, you know, just I think the general scheme kind of limited what his impact could have been.
0: Do you remember, like, when Isco first arrived at Real Madrid from Malaga? There was, like, this He scored a header. Yeah, the birth of, like, his Real Madrid career, like, when he had just broken out, was, like, a couple headers, like, just latching onto crosses and heading, and we're like, well, okay, he has that in this game, so cool. But we didn't really see that much, if at all, since then. Um, It's not his game anyway, but it was just something that, like, something when he broke out on the stage, he was scoring headers, and he didn't really kind of morph into that role since then. But the Rodrigo thing, I think... um, so, there were a couple things that I noticed of him defensively, and I think he was a huge part of the reason why Real Madrid so were able to lock down, especially the flanks. You already have pretty two sound defensive wingbacks in nacho and mendy um nacho actually got up the field quite a bit, but he didn't he wasn't really efficient, obviously we're separating the goal here um he uh he had his pocket picked a couple times, trying to make room for a cross, and you know just on the right. Had had a little bit of space, but wanted to make like take an extra touch to get some more room, and he just got dispossessed. Um, he did get forward though; he just maybe wasn't efficient. But Rodrigo, he defended he defended well on the on the left flank where Mendy was, and he would create danger. He would carry the ball up the field. He would have some good dribbling sequences, pass out of pressure. He would pounce on the ball and transition, carry the ball again. But ultimately, like you said, he didn't have support, and he ran out of outlets, and he lost the ball. And then he would also pop up on the right wing to cover for Nacho. Um he had that cut in shot from the right onto his left foot. He had a pinpoint cross to Benzema at the far post that you mentioned. Um yeah. good moments. I this was um I don't know, I, I not Nacho. I kinda wanna talk about Nacho right now. I'm just gonna transition here. <laughs> um the and the last mailbag, Lucas and I were talking about like, you know, would Zidane trust or Rizola if he was still here? Like if if Real Madrid played against Bayern in the Champions League or something. And I thought he wouldn't. I thought he would have just played Nacho anyway. And um, if we're... I'm not saying Nacho was back or anything because obviously we can't say that at all. But he wasn't terrible today. He wasn't as good as, as peak Nacho has been in the last like two, three years. Um, especially before the World Cup. But I actually... The, the other time he started in a in a makeshift situation was at the Wand against Atletico. And he played really well there. And um, he had to go up against Trippier and actually really, really did well against Trippier on that side. And this game, he scores a header that is like really, really difficult to get on the end of. And after the game, he was saying that Zidane told him... Or I don't know if, if he was saying or Zidane was saying that basically go up for this one you're going to score. And he did. And uh, I'm kind of. Should we talk about his hair? Maybe making a difference here, because for the longest time, Benzema's cast was giving him powers. Does Nacho's hair give him something here? You know how much I believe in this stuff, right?
1: What's different about his hair? I didn't notice. Oh, his at hair all. is long.
0: Yeah, this is it's a, long. This is oh, most. Oh yeah, you like you like the thing.
1: long hair thing. Like, not 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 in when... Bale's situation,
0: and not in Raul's situation. <laughs> it really depends depends on the player depends on which if, if you're basically if your form goes down with a, a new haircut just go back to what was working before but so what did you Speaking think of Nacho's thing. performance then
1: so I mean I, obviously the goal was there um, I, I don't think he was horrible by his standards but I do think that if Carvajal is in and Carvajal is playing you know somewhere near his expected level it, it's a huge, it's a huge difference. I agree. I just, I just don't think Nacho was able to provide that much offensively. And you know, I, it's you know, it's who Nacho is, right? Peak Nacho, you know, would do well offensively. It, it's not like he was ever a dynamo or anything like that. You know, he he would he would do well. You know, better than maybe we had expected in the past. Um, it's not peak Nacho anymore. You know, it looks more like you know the the early seasons when he was with Real Madrid, and he just doesn't necessarily provide that much offensively. And I think given the way by the lead defended, which they deserve some credit for in our own offensive inefficiencies, I think, you know, it was a huge miss. Um, it was a huge miss not to have Carvajal today.
0: Uh, what other talking points do you want to hit from this?
1: So um, I I guess I, I, I can talk about the scheme um, from via the Leeds side, which I thought was kind of interesting because it sort of remind, reminded me of Liverpool's a little bit, and then I think some of the things that we did wrong on the offensive end. Um, okay, just want me to go. Just want me to go ahead.
0: Yeah, go for it. All
1: right. So, like on, on the formation listed everywhere on like who scored and stuff was like a four four two. Um, defensively, I saw it more as like a four three three. Um, with, you know, Unal, Michel, and Guardiola, you know, very clearly kind of being like a, a, a defensive front me, like in line with each other, kind of like, you know, Firmino, you know, Sadio Mane, and, you know, Salah. And, you know, there was the defensive, there was the, the three in midfield, and then there was the back four. And it seemed very clear to me that, you know, when we were building from the back, they were trying to use that, like, front six, to kind of just box off the center of the pitch. So, like, you know, we had technically numerical advantage there. We had, like, Isco roaming in in the center. We had Rodrigo coming inside. Sometimes Benzema always is trying to make himself available. And then you have Kroos Modric. And Casimir was actually moving up between the lines quite a bit, but it was very difficult for us to access them. And, it you know, it made us push the ball to the flank. And when that happened, you know, the front three would kind of shift over. So, like, the wide player, you know, would move to the fullback you know the the striker would move to the center back and then the far side winger would kind of like come into midfield a little bit and keep trying to like force us to switch side to side you know full back to full back, and they keep adjusting that way like now it's not exactly like Liverpool's like they they were not really pressing that much they weren't really setting pressing traps it was just that like the nominal shape kind of looked a little bit like Liverpool's and that's about as 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 far as I think the comparison goes, but it's interesting because you just don't see this type of defensive structure very often. And I thought they used it fairly effectively. That being said, I don't think we did much to challenge it. As I mentioned before, we were just kind of accepting that we couldn't access the center and we were just going wide. I think they I think we definitely could have tried to be a bit more patient, tried to manipulate their shape, kind of play into it, play through those tight spaces, coax some of the midfielders out of position and then use Isco, you know, when I, you know, when Isco is there in that type of position, he's there, I think, to exploit these types of structures and and be between the lines and receiving those spaces. And I, I just feel like he was underutilized once again this season in that type of position. Um, it was interesting because you mentioned Casimir as the bigger, threat. I think Casimir actually did a better job, you know, of getting into those positions and, and, and trying to like play between the lines and stuff. And, You know, he did a fairly decent job, but it's again, it's a case of like, would you rather have Casemiro doing that? Would you rather have Isco doing that? And I just think that was like, it just came down to the fact that we didn't have a concerted strategy to kind of counteract what Vio the lead was doing, you know, get Isco into those positions after manipulating players out of position and and having him start things from there. So Casemiro was just kind of like innovating, you know, and going back to kind of like some of the old things he does where he surges forward and kind of plays and like, a pseudo number 10 position. And for the purposes of of this game, it helped, you know, but obviously not enough. Um, And I think that was kind of like the fundamental tactical flaw on our side. And obviously you have to give Viola credit because, you know, even had I, you know, what I'm saying been executed correctly, it still would have been like, you know, the players would have needed to play really well to pull it off. I think we had the players do it quite frankly, but, you know, um, we just kind of accepted what they gave us. You know, and we were like, okay, we're going to cross our way to victory. And, you know, to be fair, uh, under Zidane, Real Madrid, we're, we're quite comfortable doing that, right? Like, we're quite comfortable saying, okay, you want us to go wide cross, we'll do that. So that was very surprising. Um, it ended up working. But to be frank, I thought we got a little lucky. Um, you know, Nacho probably does not score the winning goal in this game Pepper. nine times out of 10. <laughs> of um, me? Nine all. times out of 10.
0: Yeah, no, it's Nine times out of 10. It's no, it's it's but, really in a, a very very difficult chance to take. Part of me also wants yeah. to highlight how difficult these games actually are even though they look easy on the calendar. I mean, Valladolid is a team who um we couldn't really break down that first game at the Bernabéu this season. We totally um were terrible against them under Solari last season uh, away. And Valladolid gave Barca absolute hell last season. Um and they were a, 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 a disallowed goal away from beating them. And I think um just looking at this game too, you know, they they defended pretty well. But it really I felt like even watching this, especially in the second half, even bef- like almost before Nacho scored, because I was watching this with my dad, and I was telling him, like, it, it feels like it feels like Rams are actually gonna find a way somehow. I'm not sure how, but they're gonna find a way because their body language wasn't terrible to me. Like it was it was a team with a purpose that knew that they weren't they. They knew they had to pounce on Barca dropping points, and uh, there was a resilience that you kind of felt like you felt like that electric jolt through the TV somehow. That, like their body language is good; they're gonna find a way. And they're gonna they're gonna give themselves a chance to win this, and they did. Um, Zidane spoke about the high press in the post game, saying like the team the team has done so well when they're pressing, and I noticed that um, throughout the game at times like. The collective press was good. It and it generally is good when you have uh, midfielders like this who can kind of hound hound lead high up the pitch. Um, Rodrigo and Kroos, those two together, were responsible for just for for winning the ball up the pitch a few times. Kroos's energy was amazing, and he one of the one of his um, presses actually nearly led to a breakaway for himself, which um, eventually he just lost control of the ball. But he pressed won the ball from the back line. And uh, and almost was on his way. So the press has been pretty good. Um, I also think these games, in a way, are just harder. In, um, when you're playing against smaller teams, like they're harder to break down. Um, they're gonna be in a defensive shell, and they may not take advantage of of you the other way, but they're gonna make it difficult to break down. And um, you know, uh, and, and and on another day, maybe this this midfield or this entire team, works and scores more goals against a bigger opponent. I'm not sure. But I think we should highlight the fact that Fede Valverde was not in this team. Um, And he came in the second half, obviously. But now this is two games now where he hasn't started. And w- there was a time where he was he was benching Modric. Uh, Modric played really well, by the way, and has been really good for the last few games. Um, Today also has press resistance in midfield, where he can just reset the pos- possession just when... You think he's being pressured to lose the ball? Just phenomenal stuff from him. Um, but I, I do wonder how much Fede's absence made a difference too.
1: Um, I would honestly have thought that his absence would affect us more defensively, and I was interested to see that like we were extremely solid without him because I mentioned before I think him and Casemiro's resurgence to I think is probably his peak form in his career at the moment are, are two of the biggest reasons for a defensive solidity, but without him, you know, it was, it was pretty good. That, that being said against, I think, a Viola the lit attack that, you know, was a lot worse than their defense. I, I think, you know, they were, they're playing pretty simple, you know, direct long balls, to the forwards, and, you know, just kind of relying on counterattacks, but, you know, it was, it was still extremely solid without him. So I was a little surprised with that, by that, impressed by it. Valverde's offensive, you know, impact, um, I think has been a lot less than his defensive impact. I don't know how much he would have provided over Modric today. I think perhaps, I think with his energy and his running on the ball, he, ball, he might've been able to take advantage of more like some semi-transition opportunities. It was mainly like Casemiro actually like um, driving and trying to like exploit those opportunities like you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. So in that sense, I think Valverde might've provided a little more, but I don't know if it would have provided such a huge offensive boost. Um I think yeah, so I think the things you were saying about via the lid being a tough game is, is true. I I think like you can talk about their past performances against bigger teams, but really you can just look at the way they played today and I think give them credit for for that. But at the same time, it's like they haven't won in their last eight league games. And I I I think you can say they probably stepped it up today, but I think it's also fair to say you expect more from Real Madrid. Um, you know, against an opponent like this. Like, yes, they stepped it up. Yes, they played quite well. But this is an opponent that has been struggling quite a bit. Um, And it probably shouldn't have been as close as it was, even considering that we're missing Hazard and whatnot. And I think that's kind of been sort of the story this season where I feel like offensively, Zidane isn't necessarily getting the most out of what he could. But it's so solid defensively that... On the balance of things, you have to say that Zidane is doing a good job. Um, You know, and I I think that's fine, right? Like, you know, it's it's sort of like, you can say the same thing with Simeone, Atletico all those years. Like, I think, I've seen enough at this point to say that I think Simeone is actually holding Atletico Madrid back offensively, but for a long time, it's more questionable now, but for a long time, he's he's done so defensively that on the overall balance of things, he's obviously been very good for Athletic Madrid. For Don, it's not exactly that for his entire time at Real Madrid, but I think definitely for a lot of this season, that's the case, which means there's definitely room for improvement, which I think can be seen as a positive thing, that the ceiling for this team is actually much higher. Um, but it is very interesting because this is not something I would have expected at the beginning of the season. I would not have expected that the... The base for Zidane's success this, this season would be a very strong defense, and that offensively we'd be struggling. That is, yeah, that is something out of out of the many things I would have predicted. That this this would definitely not be it.
0: Well, this is this is the classic like out victory that league champions eventually need, and I think this is this is also a game that Real Madrid would have lost or dropped points in years past. That's why yeah, I'm, I'm more lenient about this and kind of the way they perform and stuff because. Just for that sheer reasons that you know it's sixteen seventeen was filled with a bunch of ugly wins <laughs> wins, yeah. but um but uh there were necessary late comebacks that eventually were epic, and, and there was an epicness to this, even though it wasn't pretty just the way Nacho scored that header. Um the Fede point is to me the way he helps offensively is kind of the way he helped offensively against Valencia in the Supercopa, and that if Valladolid are not pressing you that high. And they're kind of hedging off. What happened against Valencia was essentially you had Kroos and Casemiro deep as the deepest midfielders, and then you had Modric, Isco, and Fede just causing all kinds of chaos with their runs, and that that makes it more difficult to defend. And Fede obviously gives more freedom to the other the other players, like you know Isco and ben, and uh, in that game it was Jovich, but to Benzema it would have been in this game. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's that's where Fede's absence probably comes in. But again, I'm not I'm pretty lenient about the performance in this because I I just know that these are the ones that we're gonna look back on and be like, hey, if we win the league, there's a bunch of games that have been ugly, but Briam should have gotten points in, and, and I'm okay with that. Um,
1: yeah, so I'm just gonna shove this that in here because I was I meant to do this, um, in my last like you know monologue where I talked for like five minutes. And somehow I forgot to do it, but it was, yeah. So this is kind of random now, but it would have made more sense then. It's that like, just, I think just to kind of like further emphasize, like how difficult this game offensively was for us, it was only two deep completions that, that we had the entire game. And and what does that mean? That means we only completed two passes, um, within 20 yards of the goal, not including crosses. So I think that just kind of emphasizes like despite us dominating possession, blah, 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 like our ability to actually like control in a controlled manner, bring the ball towards goal was very, very difficult. And I think that like even more than I think kind of the shots that kind of like shocking stat, like kind of emphasizing it And on a normal day, we probably have like 10 to 15 deep completions, Um, you know, and Honestly, in Real Madrid's peak, probably even higher, like the 16 17 season, 15 16 season. Um, But like two is definitely extremely low. And I think that just kind of like sums up the struggles we had on the day, which I think makes it even more, you know, remarkable and even more important that we ended up coming out with the win like this because for sure, you know, we don't want to whitewash history and pretend that like the 2016 17 was just pretty victories the entire way. A lot of it was late wins, grinding it out. Um, I would say the main difference is that, like, they were our vic- close victories involved more goals. It wasn't as many 1-0s. But yeah, it definitely had that feel. And I, I also had that sense that, like, we were going to get through it. There's something very, that, that aura of the 2016-17 season, I feel over the season quite a bit in the sense that, like, both Barca and Atleti aren't having the best of seasons. And there seems to be, I think, that confidence back in the team that they will keep fighting till the end. And no matter how we're playing, how tough it gets, every single player on the team seems to think that we will get the victory no matter what. And, and that has a tangible impact on games. Players going in with that attitude and having that kind of belief will have real impacts on games. And I think we've seen that this season.
0: The other thing I think worth highlighting is that this Nacho, with Nacho scoring today, that's 18 different players who have scored this season. It's. Uh, I'm not saying it's no longer reliant on Benzema scoring because Benzema has 12 goals and the next person is Casemiro with three. <laughs> but um, you kind of add them up and it's like you have almost like a second player kind of behind Benzema. If you start adding up Casemiro three, Mortage three, Fede two, Varan two, Kroos two, Carvajal one, um, Nacho one, Lucas Vazquez one. So I think you're not exactly getting that that. Number two in line in terms of to Benzema in terms of scoring, but you're getting contribution that uh, that is absolutely vital right now. and uh, yeah, i this is I, I I want to be careful and say that it, the offense will get better. I'm very cautious in saying that because it relies on health, I think, to an extent. Um, but yeah, is there anything else before we move on to a couple questions that you want to bring up?
1: Um, just that. What you're saying is, and I, I think with the other players scoring, I think it buys time for something that needs to happen. Yeah, and it's that we got to get Jovic going. Yep, at some point, you know, we got to. It's 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 not easy at all. Like we say that, but at some point, that means benching Benzema. At some point, that means maybe adjusting the way we play a little bit to get Jovic more involved. But you know, this is only halfway in the season, and you know, at some point, Jovic has got to be our number two guy. That's that's why we got him. He has the ability to do it, in my mind, no doubt. And at some point, we need to make that happen. And that could end up being proving crucial for the season. It'll be very, very interesting to see how Zidane accomplishes that because I think it is more challenging than I think it looks at face value.
0: Okay, so patreon.com slash managing Madrid is where you go to pledge, get access to bonus shows. Um, You're missing at least three extra bonus shows per week if you're not on patreon.com slash managing Madrid. Reminder, we're only doing one free show per week now. It's this one, it's the weekend one. Everything else is on Patreon. Um, really, really fun. A few episodes in the last couple of weeks, one of which was with Eduardo Alvarez, who we're kind of together, but mostly him because he lives in Madrid. And he's a socio. Um, he kind of gave points about is actually the ultimate guide to staying in Madrid, where to stay, where not to stay, where to eat, where not to eat, how to buy tickets, how to get a hold of secret socio tickets that get discounted at a, at a lower price just before kickoff. Um, so make sure you have access to that on Patreon.com slash ManagingMadrid. Also, this Tuesday, the loan tracker is coming. We do the loan tracker every week. Um, this one is, I guess, extra interesting because we have now two new... Two new uh, not too new, but like Vallejo has moved to Granada. He played four minutes on this weekend, so not much to talk about, but there's some some talking points with Granada there. Um, and obviously, Odegaard is all at Bayern now. Um, and yeah, and a whole lot of things happening this weekend with Odegaard at Traff and so forth. So if you want access to that, patreon.com slash managing Madrid. Our patron Ian Marley says, Sup guys, we got to commend Zizou for tightening up our defense. That's undeniable. However, our chance creation is below average at best. If someone says that Hazard coming back will change things, I'm looking at you, Kian, LOL, it only highlights the problem. With Vinicius, Brahim, Jovic, and Rodrigo, and um, we barely have offensive ideas. Furthermore, these young players also need to be coached in offensively. Otherwise, how can they grow? Just by being thrown into a lineup? So, the question is, I guess, is... Um, is it realistic to think that this offense will click? Well, like you know, the idea of buying time and and waiting for Hazard to come back. I think it's a legitimate question because we actually have no guarantee that Hazard will be back to full fitness. Like we have this dream, and I, we hope, like knock on wood, he's going to come back and he's going to get back to his Chelsea level. He's going to show us those glimpses he had against PSG earlier before he got injured. You know, there's a chance that he we don't get that version. Maybe he has regression. Maybe he he has a, he has a relapse something happens he's not he it takes him time to get fully fit again and, and things happen so how how worried are you about the offense
1: I mean it's it's not like this is a one-off thing right like this has been more of a consistent trend throughout the season i i'm not totally surprised like in in like being skeptical about Zidane's return, my skepticism was how does he handle all this young, less mature talent and turn it into an offensive engine? Because if you if you think about Zidane's offensive tactics, there's two things. One is that he found a way to optimize his original talent, like the the, the three Champions Leagues in a row talent, by you know focusing on, on exploiting these generational fullbacks, Sol and Carvajal and then exploiting Cristiano Ronaldo's ability in the air. Um, and then everything else, like every other kind of alteration of that, was just Zidane finding ways to put offensive talent on the pitch and kind of give them the freedom to do what what they do best on the pitch and, and have them kind of make their own decisions and work in unison with each other to create offensive structures and then kind of have like Casimir Modric cover that up and then get them to work really hard off the ball so that like the fluidity doesn't mess everything up. And the diamond was kind of the prime example of that kind of offensive approach. And that's not what you think of when you think of like a, a manager that's kind of like designing particular, like, you know, schemes or specific like methods to break down an, a, an offensive structure. That's not exactly the way Zidane has worked. Um, and so my worry is when you when you come with these young talents who probably are not quite at the level where they can be like peak Isco or peak Hamas or peak Ronaldo peak Bale you know peak Modric to, to, to you know work with that fluidity and be able to you know understand all of that on the fly you know it's probably not going to be as effective with them and something different needs to be done there needs to be a more coherent philosophy I I think that remains a question with Zidane. I did think we'd be in a slightly worse position. I, I mean, I did say second in the league. I I, we, I thought we'd be in a slightly worse position because I was worried about defensive issues. On that end, Zidane has managed to shore things up. But I think there's a legitimate question about the offense, and I haven't seen too much evolution there. I think it's maybe Zidane's found a way to shore things up on the defensive end, but I think some of his like weaknesses offensively remain, and I think that like shows... I, I, I still think that, but that's why there's some of these issues today, right? Because like when I talked about the way we're unable to break down via the lead, I think it, it would have taken, I think, a little more carefully crafted scheme to break through, you know, the type of defensive structure that was posed against us and instead it was, you know, down the touchline crossing and Rodrigo was kind of trying to have to figure out where his position is and he wasn't exactly sure. Yeah, so I do think there is validity to that question. Um, for the reasons that I stated before, um, I, I do think Hazard also when he comes back, he one hundred percent changes things. Like we've seen that even when he's not at his peak. But some the thing with Zidane is I, I kinda always felt like he has like a general offensive idea and it's about getting his players to kind of just his more talented offensive players to kind of like you know, just just kind of like shoulder a big burden. And make things happen and that's been Benzema this season it's been Benzema you know for for a lot of seasons under Zidane it's been Ronaldo it's been peak Modric and I think it has to be Hazard and you know it is a valid question with the younger players like how exactly is their development going to look like without a coherent offensive philosophy um which is why like I said I had some questions about Zidane coming back but when it comes to like Zidane overall as his in his ability to win trophies this season, I think so far he's acquitted himself well, mainly because of what he's done on the defensive end. In terms of long-term development, yeah, I think that is something that remains to be seen. And offensively, I think you can be optimistic about this team, but also have some worries on that front. I, I do think that's quite reasonable.
0: Here's what gives me hope, and because and it's mostly because I don't think we've seen the team's final gear yet. Um, and I think we've seen glimpses of it against PSG. And that is when Hazard was Hazard was in the lineup. I think if we get Hazard back, obviously he he does. I mean, it's Ian can, Ian can laugh at the, you know my insistence on Hazard coming back will change things. But he is one of the best offensive players in the world by default. He he raises the potential of your offense threefold. But um, we I can't stress this enough. We have to like give Zidane a lot of credit for fixing the team's defense and. Part of the way to figure out how to win titles when your offense isn't clicking is to make a scheme where you don't require as many goals. Um, and I actually see, I foresee a grind out uh, a, a gear where they have this like ability to grind out games just by controlling and, and passing by sc- or scoring one or two goals, and um, and being able to to lock it up. I just honestly, even sixteen, seventeen, they weren't this good defensively, mind you. We're still. I got halfway through the season now, so maybe this team goes on a defensive complete collapse and they start conceding goals and it goes back to Cas- Casemiro having no cover and um, and people playing out of position and defensive dominoes that come from, from that collapsed midfield and the press. Maybe that happens and Real Madrid spiral. But as of right now, this is the best defense they've had under Zidane. Like It's no question. Even better than 16-17 when they won the double. That gives me hope um and if hazard does get healthy you kind of put those two things together and i think that's that's something that that should give you hope to win win a couple titles this season or at least one title um i was gonna say something else about this my mind's all over the place um
1: um while you think about it i'll just quickly jump in um just to be fair to ian i don't think he's necessarily like Disagree that Hazard will change things. Just more the fact that like
0: you can't like, rely become, on it.
1: It's too much of an excuse to say that like without a Hazard we can't have a competent offense. Like that, I agree with. I, I think. I that being said, right like you know you have to say it's it's unlucky for Zidane that he doesn't have Hazard. But yes, with with the talent we have, even if it is a lot of it young, inexperienced talent, I think with a little you know more careful coaching that area i th- i don't think it's out of the realm that like with without so let's say like you the, the the worst case scenario with hazard happens that like he just doesn't get back to his real self this season I, I i think the ceiling could be a lot higher for our offense not as much as it would be if we had hazard but i think it could be quite a bit higher and i think that's like where the potential for improvement is i think it's also worth mentioning that like some some defensive like some of this improvement with defense i think has come you know, with necessarily compromising a bit of offense. Just with, I think, like, just in general, I think especially in the non scope formations, I think we have been a bit more rigid. There's been a little less of that fluidity that, like, we, we rely on to create things. And, you know, sometimes there is a trade-off. There doesn't always have to be, but I think sometimes there is a trade-off with defensive solidity and offensive effectiveness. I think, I think Zidane has been willing to do that this season because he sees that as, like, I think, a more stable path forward in the league.
0: Sure. I mean, but... Regardless of I mean that's why you signed Hazard is because he does raise the office, the ceiling of your offense and I think no matter how much you want to create a system that doesn't rely on him um which I think you should be doing anyway but but sometimes it's just it's easier said than done because those are why that's why those players are the stars um but I do think it's also unfair on Hazard to be like a complete zero offensively without him at times because you're just if we had a peak Gareth Bale, it wouldn't be as big of a problem. But he's not stepping up in in the games as you'd expect him to. James like I actually almost forgot James was a Real Madrid player until you kind of saw him in the squad last game and and he didn't play. And then you know those are these are two players that like I'm. It's shocking that you were not getting anything from them, whether it's because they're out of a lineup or because when they're on the field they're not really producing much. Um. I think there's, there are a few things that maybe are out of Zidane's control. Some of them are. But I'm going to just go on a, on a limb and just say, I think this team will find itself in the springtime. Just a hunch. I could be wrong. I think, I think, I think the offense will come. Or at least it will come in the games that matter. But we'll see. Last one. Kunal Tilakar says, I read somewhere that we have signed Hugo Vallejo and are sending him on loan to Depor. Is that true? What is he like as a player? It is true. Um, He is not going to get 18 minutes. I'm not entirely sure why they didn't just loan him back to Malaga um, because they're also in Segunda, but apparently Depor really want to use him to make that push to La Liga um, this season. Um, And I have not watched him him play at all or done any scouting on him yet, Uh, just that he's a winger and he's promising and he's 19 years old. Om, do you have anything that you want to add?
1: We're signing too many wingers to keep track of. Man. Like, just just trying to keep track of the Brazilian ones alone is like making my head spin. And then when you add all the other ones in, like it's it's going to be like Chelsea soon, where we have like two hundred and thirty six players on bone. and it's like we're just going to have to pretend that we know, you know, what all these guys are like and and stuff. Um, joking aside, like, you know, I will look at him at some point. I just absolutely have not had the chance to. Um, so, I don't have anything useful to say about him. But if, yeah, it is. If you think, we're, we're probably going to have like 10 wingers on the books by like next season.
0: If you think our loan tracker is tough, imagine being like a, doing a loan tracker podcast for Atalanta. I believe when I saw it a couple weeks ago, they have 54 players on loan or something crazy like that. Um, uh, and yeah. part of it is because those teams in Serie area, bar Juventus, don't have um, youth teams. So. They don't really have that castillo. I thought UEFA
1: like instituted a rule or whatever that this has to stop like you can't have that many like players on role I think whatever.
0: that's going to be coming into um, I, I think that rule hasn't come into effect yet but I believe it's coming into effect next year or something like that we have yeah. just so many players in Segunda right now we have Lunin one Lucas Zidane that's two and then we have uh, Alberto Soro Jorge De Frutos Four and now Hugo Vallejo, five. Yeah, it's a lot of players to keep track of Segunda, which I, you know, on the lone track, we focus on everyone else, but Segunda, we watch highlights, and that's about it. Um, oh, Marvin, do you have anything else to uh to plug or anything before we wrap it up?
1: I uh, just uh, I guess hug your loved ones a little tighter tonight, um, and yeah, we move on.
0: We also have, um, if I know a lot of you've been asking about tack on coverage, we have uh. Really good team right now. Everything from social media updates during taekwondo games to previews and recaps um between Omarvin, Jess Howen and Raquel Barbadillo. Um all of that is on managing So go check it out, please. Um Marvin, um like you said, just a message to everybody hug your loved ones. Um don't take them for granted. And uh until next time,
1: halamadin.